TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Welcome to Sunday Take for January 28th, 2024. I'm your host, Blois Olson. This week, it's an annual show with two mayors, Mayor Fry from Minneapolis, Mayor Carter from St. Paul. I know you'd rather hear from them than me, but let's just say that these cities are big to our economic impact. And no matter what you think about these cities, they've helped the state. And I want us to all understand that as we have this conversation about what are the big issues facing our city and what do these mayors think they have to do in the next year. When we come back, Mayor Jacob Fry and Mayor Melvin Carter on WCCO. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Welcome back to Sunday Take. As I mentioned in the open, a little different show this week. Two guests, but they're together. Mayor Jacob Fry and Mayor Melvin Carter join me. This is the second time we've done this in, uh, in the beginning of a year. So, you know, maybe this becomes a tradition. Mayor Carter, Mayor Fry, thanks for uh, joining me on Sunday Take. Good to be on. Thank you for having us. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Mayor Carter, because, you know, A, my my heart is in St. Paul, even though I live on the west side of the river. So, you know, I, I have to give St. Paul some props here. Um, but it's 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 an issue you both are working with, and I want to just kick off with it. You have a new city council, and uh, it's it's a different makeup than before. It, uh, both of you have city councils that are probably a little more progressive than you each are. How how have you thought about working with the new council? What's your strategy? What issues do you think you align with them on? Oh, I appreciate the question. We're actually pretty excited to work with our new council coming in. You know, after a certain number of years, you sort of have a a, a natural, uh, you know, sort of settling in that you sort of sit down in the in in the saddle. Uh, and it's exciting for me uh, to have the newcomers coming in. It's exciting to have just kind of the the, the fresh energy and that churn that we have here in the city. Um, when I came in as a new city council member 16 years ago, um, I was the only person under 30. I think I was 28 at the time. I was the only person of color, and uh, Kathy Landry, who was the council president, was the only woman. And so for us in St. Paul to see a uh, city council full of young women, diverse, uh, is, 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 is pretty incredible for us. Um, I came on the city council intent on pushing the city's comfort zone and bringing new ideas and new energy uh, and sort of a new fervor to the role of uh, how City Hall can be relevant in people's lives. 
Um, and I expect our new city council members to do the same. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that we'll agree on a whole lot of things. And I'm very confident that we'll uh, have to learn from each other on a whole lot of things. Um, but one of the things I, I, I look at all seven of them and I see folks who are uh, who, who are really committed to the city, uh, who want to see our city move forward. By the way, uh, as I as I age, I just had a birthday. So I'll share some birthday wisdom for you. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm becoming more and more convinced that uh, what's harder than left versus right is just forward versus staying still. And it's exciting to have council members who are really intent on sort of pushing our city forward. I think we'll be able to have a big conversation on housing. I think we'll be able to be able to continue uh, what we've tried to start in this city in terms of thinking about how City Hall can invest directly in our residents and our workers and our children and our businesses. Uh, and I think we're going to be able to have, a, have an opportunity to move all of that work forward. Uh, like I said, I, I'm, I'm sure there will be moments of disagreement. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if we're all focused on building the city forward and thinking about how we learn from each other, we'll get through it just fine. Mayor Fry, similarly, you have a new council. You've already had a little bit of friction and uh, back and forth on a couple of key issues. What What are you learning? What are you thinking about right away? First off, friction and disagreement, that is literally built into the system. Uh, our system is designed and set up to have that kind of back and forth. And even when the, the mayor and the legislature are like 100% in agreement on everything. There is friction that is inherently designed into the system. And I thought, so I think largely that should be expected. And I'm really optimistic. I mean, you got to believe and you got to know to your core that the people that are walking through those doors at City Hall for the first time or the thousandth time are doing so in good faith with an intention to collaborate and try to move the city forward. As, as Melvin mentioned, you know, I, none of us want status quo here. We want to figure out what's next and we want to go about it in a right-minded way. Uh, and I know I'm really optimistic of where our city council is going. And I will also note that we've got, I believe the most diverse council that we've ever had in history, um, maybe only to be rivaled by the last one. Um, but the white guy caucus at this point is a caucus of one person. I think that's right. Uh, all I can think of is Michael Rainville. That is the only white guy person um, that is presently on the Minneapolis City Council. It's a diverse set of people who have different perspectives coming from different backgrounds. And, you know, I'm a believer that if you really listen to each other, uh, you take in that feedback uh, that you're able to get to a better solution. Uh, staying with you, Mayor Fry, what let's talk about the issues. So. If you laid out your top three, four priorities for that council of things you wanted to move forward this year, what would they be and what, is, what do you have in agreement or what do you have to compromise on in those four things? So the four things there's broad agreement on, but to your point, the four things are kind of these macro level issues. And I think as you dig deeper into the weeds, I'm sure you'll find areas of disagreement. Uh, for me, I mean, this hasn't changed. It's it's affordable housing uh, and growing the supply of housing. Uh, it's economic inclusion and recovery. It's safety and accountability. And then finally, it's climate. If you were at if you were to ask or poll the 13 council members, I would almost guarantee you that every one of them would have at least three of those four priorities on their agenda. And probably every one of them would have all four of those priorities on the agenda. Uh, and. You know, if you look at the work that we've done in housing, for instance, we're producing six times the amount of deeply affordable housing than we ever have before. Uh, 
we're, we've got an enhancement of stable homes, stable schools, bringing it to every single school in our Minneapolis public school system. Uh, we're fighting for zoning reform and change in an inclusive fashion. You know, if you look at recovery, I mean, we're all about generating additional uh, economic development and business focus, both downtown as well as throughout our city. We're all about making sure that we do that with an eye for inclusion and uplifting and empowering some of these incredible BIPOC entrepreneurs that are really driving our economy right now. Uh, you know, safety. Uh, we all want to drive down crime. Nobody wants crime to be up. I think that is kind of a universal truth. Uh, and all of us want to see a comprehensive approach to it that is inclusive of officers, but not limited to them. Uh, so, you know, I think there is broad agreement, but as I'm sure you'll do in just a second, there are some areas of disagreement as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm happy to tell people exactly where I am, where the disagreements are and why I uh, believe what I believe. Mayor Carter, your top four issues, are they the same or different? Uh, they're going to be really uh, similar, honestly. You know, obviously we're, 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 we're communities that are right next to one another. So, uh, as much as we like to pretend we're entirely different dimensions, uh, a lot of the issues that impact one of us impact both of us. You know, thinking through how we uh, vi revitalize our downtown is absolutely critical. Uh, COVID change. Towns are built to be places of obligation. You have to be here for work anyway. So here's a restaurant or here's a bar. Or here's a, an, an event. Uh, we have to transform downtowns across the country. We have to think about how, how do we transform into places of choice, uh, that places of experiences, places of uh, activities that people want to be at. Uh, so that's something that we're energized by. Uh, like I said, continuing to build the post-COVID economy. How do we uh, put folks to work? How do we uh, connect people to the future? Uh, how do we make sure that uh, our city is creating economic opportunity directly for our residents is, is important. Um, and I know all of us continue to stay focused on uh, public safety. Uh, we're making incredible strides, both in St. Paul and Minneapolis, as uh, Mayor, Mayor Fry mentioned. Uh, and you know that, that, that doesn't mean it's a time to take your foot off the gas. That means it's a really good time to continue to double down uh, to make sure that every person in every corner of our city can enjoy a safe and promising uh, city, safe and promising neighborhood. I want to, you guys both mentioned housing. We'll talk about housing. Yeah. Um, obviously, my disclaimer is I work on this issue for a lot of developers, property managers, uh, especially in rental housing. But um, I want to just say that, you know, one of the things and I'll just I'll go to the state legislature so you guys can be off the hook for this one but you know the state legislature laid out more mandates for housing and that you know when when costs go up in housing whether it's taxes or utilities or things like that there's only one place that that cost can get passed on to and that's the renter and so you know as you look at your cities uh mayor carter you guys passed rent control there's some talk about tweaking it doing some other things how do you are there strategies to keep the cost of housing more stable or lower that don't fall to the renter that maybe are, you know, taxes or maybe are utilities or, or things like that. And, and I raise that because that is a pocketbook issue, right? And if, 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 as mayor Fry says, we want to produce more deeply affordable housing at some point, there's gotta be a, a model, let's just say where you can either build it for less money and I don't mean cheaper, I mean for less money, or mm -hmm. there's some sort of, you know, tax break, um, you know, uh, fee break, something like that, that helps developers build it and people live in it for less than the current model. Yeah, I think it's got to be all of the above. 
you know, our conversation about housing has got to be a big conversation. I think one of the challenges has been that we've had uh, small and isolated conversations about housing. It's such a big problem that if we're only talking about one facet of it, then of course, we're going to feel like we got to turn that one facet up to 10 every single time. Uh, This has got to be about simulating new housing. I tell folks all the time, anytime you say the words um, uh, housing crisis, ultimately what you're saying is we have more people than housing units. Uh, And if we add people faster than we add units, uh, then we're going to make the crisis worse. If we add units, if we can figure out how to continue to add units faster, uh, then that can help to make the crisis better. And so certainly we have to work with developers. We have to work with landlords. I get frustrated, frankly, uh, when 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 any of these conversations get pitted as sort of one side against the other. I brag all the time that St. Paul's a city that raised our minimum wage uh, with the Chamber of Commerce and our union presidents at the same table. We're a city that crafted our public safety approach uh, with the police union president and Black Lives Matter advocates at the same table. And in the same way, we have to understand that being a city where renters can thrive uh, demands requires being a city uh, where landlords uh, can thrive and where developers can thrive. And so that's going to be a part, an unapologetic part of our conversation. At the same time, uh, and you, you know, you, you and I both know some of the folks who can sometimes be somewhat alarmist uh, that any change whatsoever is going to make the sky fall. And that's just not a good enough approach where housing is concerned. There are absolutely, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced uh, that there are uh, meaningful interventions, uh, for example, uh, like uh, limiting security deposits. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not convinced, and I, I I used to be a small landlord myself, uh, and you know I could figure out how to how to how to make the ends meet uh, without charging somebody three times the monthly rent as a security deposit. I don't think that breaks anybody's uh, business model. I think there 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 are sensible things like that uh, that can that can move forward, uh, and of course at the point where you know, Mayor Fry or I, or, you know, or, and more importantly, our taxpayers are investing in big projects. I tell developers all the time, uh, you know, you just, the same as you have investors who demand a return, uh, the public are have investors uh, who demand a return. Uh, that, that, that return looks like affordable units, units that are affordable for people in our community to work, uh, people who have planted their lives, their families, their businesses in this community for generations uh, to continue to remain here, uh, to be able to live with dignity, to be able to live with decency, to be able to uh, live with respectful, respectful lives. I appreciate the distinction that you made between affordable housing and cheap housing, because when we say affordable housing, we absolutely do not mean cheap housing. Uh, we just uh, grand opened a, a, a new space uh, on University Avenue yesterday uh, with high ceilings and uh, you know vaulted staircases and stainless steel appliances. Uh, that's uh, uh, 55 units of brand new affordable housing for our community. That's what we're talking about. It's going to require a, a big, comprehensive conversation. And so, you know, stay tuned because we're going we're, we're to be planting that, conver- that conversation in St. Paul and asking all of our residents, our developers, our landlords to all be a part of it together. Mayor Fry, obviously, uh, Minneapolis has had its share of investment in multifamily rental over the last few years. And, you know, one of my kids even said, What's going there? And I'd say an apartment. And they'd be like, wait, why, why do we have so many apartment buildings being built? You know, and I, and I explained, we have more people than we have places to live. This is a 40 year cycle on, on growth, but you two have, uh, you know, are going to have policy debates with your council on housing issues. Where, where's your line? What do you need to do? And, and what strategies can the city take to try to, you know, continue to, to deal with, uh, the housing shortage? I draw my line based on what is supported by the data and the evidence-based research that we've got right at our fingertips. And, and I'll tell you, go back about 10 years 
ago. Uh, and I was talking about increasing the supply of housing in the city, uh, dramatically driving up the amount of available units, both deeply affordable, affordable and market rate, just the supply of housing overall. Uh, and I'll tell you, at the time, it received quite a bit of pushback. Some of that pushback was from people that said that this will somehow gentrify the area. It'll push people out, even if we were building housing on a surface parking lot that wasn't displacing anything but a few cars. Uh, and I mean, I don't know if you can see, look across the river from here. We now have a skyline on the east side of the river where I live. Uh, we've added record number of units. And those additional units have actually helped to keep the rents down. Importantly, this is not my opinion. Uh, this is statistically shown to be true by adding that supply. And as Mayor Carter mentioned, meeting the demand of a whole lot of people that want to live in extraordinary cities, that want to live in St. Paul and that want to live in Minneapolis, you're able to not have these drastic increases in rent that, by the way, you are seeing in other areas of the country because they haven't done the necessary work to increase the supply. Now, I can't just be a supply side equation. That's not it because there are parts, uh, important parts of the market that will not be met. There are important people uh, that will not be served if all you're going with is that market rate approach. You also need to provide subsidy, something to bridge that gap between whatever constitutes the market rate and the affordable rate by providing affordable housing. And that's where we come in. That's where the government steps in, it's where state and local partners step in to say, all right, we believe that everyone should have the right to live in a great city, and they won't have that right unless the housing is properly affordable. And so, you know, the strategies that we're implementing here are working. And I'll tell you, um, you know, Mayor Carter recently got back from the, uh, the U.S. Conference of Mayors. We've been at a number of different conferences together. And I think Mayor Carter can attest as well. When you talk to other cities around the country, they want to know what we're doing around housing because it is groundbreaking. This work that we did on the 2040 comprehensive plan that St. Paul's now doing in zoning. It is it is groundbreaking. Um, other mayors want to know not just how to get it done technically, but also how to get it done politically, because it's often a very difficult political nut to crack. And so this is something that we're all in on. Obviously, we're being sued right now. Uh, I'm telling you, we're going to win one way or another. I am joined this week by Mayor Melvin Carter, Mayor Jacob Fry for our annual two mayors uh, on Sunday take. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about property taxes and commercial property. And then we're going to talk about that evergreen topic that always gets people fired up, sports facilities. I'm Bloy Solson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to Sunday Take. I am joined by Mayor Jacob Fry, Mayor Melvin Carter, as I said before the break, we would talk about sports stadiums and commercial uh, property taxes. Uh, we'll start with the boring one, commercial property taxes. Um, obviously, you know, office, you talked about both downtowns changing, what you need to do to drive investment. You know, there's a, there's a potential that valuations drop and therefore property taxes revenues drop. Have you worked with your teams on what that might look like, how it might impact the city? I'll go with you first, Mayor Carter. Um, it's certainly something that we're 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 tracking really closely. Our budgets are some, you know, our, all the ambitions that you know Mayor Fry and I talk about for our communities start with managing our resources really well. We're really proud in St. Paul of our AAA uh, credit rating. We have the the the, the best credit rating they give. 
Um, that's I, I, I nerd out about those credit ratings once a year when the reports come uh, and my family, uh, their eyes glaze over when I start talking about it. Uh, but it's uh, one of those things that just like our own personal lending, you know, when we, when we borrow millions of dollars a year to to repave streets and fix things, um, you know, our, the, 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 the interest rate that our taxpayers pay associated with that lending has everything to do with what our uh, credit rating is. And so we're, we're, we're really proud of our, our fiscal discipline uh, that we've that we've delivered for the city. Um, and, you know, we're seeing transformation of literally everything. Uh, everything is changing out from under our feet. So that that is something that you know is, is something of an unknown out there. Um, we've already seen some of the valuations shift. Uh, the way our uh, property taxes work, uh, it, it wouldn't necessarily uh, reduce our, our our collections. It would shift it. So we see the burden shift from uh, commercial to residential, from residential to industrial. And so navigating and understanding how those shifts work uh, is, is is really important to us. Uh, and that's how sometimes we have a year where uh, we don't necessarily raise property taxes or don't raise it much. Uh, but somebody says, hey, you know, our, our, our bill went way up and our bill went way down. Oftentimes that's because of how those valuation swings happen. Um, and so that's an important conversation. It's part of this conversation uh, that, uh, that that's important that, you know, our cities don't see new dimes. We don't see increases in revenue unless we increase, you know, uh, increase taxes. And so unless we increase the sort of uh, total levy amount. Uh, so while the state government and the federal government, if we all make more, they get a percentage and they make more. Uh, city government doesn't work that way. So, you know, having candid conversations about our budgets, having candid conversations about the way our property tax levies work in association with those valuations that you were talking about uh, is a critical part of any road forward on all the topics that we're talking about. Mayor Fry, uh, you know, I feel like, in downtown Minneapolis, you've announced plans, you've done tours, you've got a task force uh, initiatives. Um, how's it holding? And, you know, if you look three to five years down the line is, is property tax revenue from, you know, commercial office, a challenge? Our entire system, the whole ecosystem of downtowns, not just in Minneapolis and St. Paul, but around the country are going to change. Uh, I think a lot of this, was inevitable. This concept of distance or remote work was going to happen, but it got expedited by five to eight years by COVID-19. And so we're having to deal with it a whole lot faster than I think any of us ever anticipated. Uh, and yeah, the same dynamics that uh, are seen in St. Paul, we're seeing in Minneapolis with uh, when you have decreased occupancy, you have uh, decreased amounts that you're able to get from the commercial rents. When that goes down, valuations decrease. And if a building sells for 40% of what it sold for just a few years ago, the valuation drops, the amount of taxes we're able to get from that building drops. And so, as Mayor Carter said, that doesn't mean that we collect less property taxes. That just means that, for the most part, our residents are going to have to pay for it. Uh, and this is a deeply concerning dynamic that I think we're going to have to account for. Traditionally, cities around the country have exclusively exclusively used like one, maybe two tax sources. The main one is, of course, property taxes. Um, is that the best or the only way to do it? No. Uh, there are other cities around the country and around the world that have access to a less regressive tax structure. There are cities that are able to, say, levy a one and a half percent income tax. There are cities that have a range of other outlets that they're able to utilize so that they're not putting all of the burden on low-income people and seniors that are on a fixed income. 
and so th there are better ways of doing this. And I think we're going to need to be really innovative over the next several years to figure out exactly what those ways are. As far as is downtown going to come back, is the valuation going to come back? Yeah, of course it will. Uh, you know, downtowns will always be a centrifugal force for the region. Uh, there are reasons geographically that downtowns are where they are, and they're always going to be a massive gathering place. I do think that they're going to change, uh, probably in a big way. Uh, I see downtowns being more of a playground. And by the way, we had our best playground year ever last year. I mean, both Minneapolis and St. Paul have massive events coming. We've got people coming downtown to party and to hang out. Uh, I do think we're going to need to appeal to demographics and people that downtown has not traditionally catered to. Um, I think we, that means more working to make it a, a welcoming space for everybody, whether you're a, a family or a, a, a person of color, high income, low income, you name it. This needs to kind of be a playground for all. Uh, and so that's what we're largely going to be pushing for over these next several years. I don't think anybody can predict exactly where things are going. What I do think is we need to try. We all need to get try get caught trying uh, to to figure out sort of the next steps here. And chances are some of it will be brilliant and some of it won't work. And then you adapt. I, I want to stay on this point. You brought up new sources of revenue. I'm not going to you know, opinion. I'll wait till maybe you run for re-election to ask you if you support an income tax in the city of Minneapolis. I think we'll just save that question for a future debate. But, um, you know, I I I want to give you guys a little bit of you know grief on this. But I I just don't know why you didn't get the streets plowed this winter. We we've we we've had so much snow this winter that I don't know why you guys. After last winter, I think it's it's only fair that you guys get credit for how clean the streets are this winter. That's right, right? We should. That's yeah. exactly right. You know, well, we get blamed for things I don't think we entirely deserve, and so we'll take a little bit of credit when we don't entirely deserve it as well. And I think this is probably one example of it. But I, I've been telling people that our public work staff have been doing one hell of a job because the number of complaints we've had thus far are at a record low. The number of requests for plowing have also been at a record low. And clearly it's because the new strategies that uh, I That's thought right. been, they're utilizing. That's right. We, Mayor we Carter, you guys redid really all the plowing. How to stop Market. it from hitting the street in the first place. And that's uh, where we're, no, you know, kidding aside, you know, one thing, if you don't learn anything else as mayor, you'll learn how expensive snow is. Uh, and just how just just the chunk of a budget it can take uh, anytime it snows three inches, nine inches, whatever it is in the city, um, you know, and 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 it's 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 fun to joke about a little bit. Uh, but it's also a reminder that our climate is changing. Uh, and it's a reminder that that work that Mayor Fry is doing in Minneapolis, that that, that we're doing here in St. Paul, uh, that our uh, electric vehicle client uh, ride share program uh, that we are. Or, I'm sorry, our electric vehicle car share program that we've launched together uh, our work to reduce the um uh to increase the efficiency of our city owned buildings uh and our fleets and those types of things our, our work to build sidewalks and bike lanes and make uh the twin cities an area where you can live without the cost of car ownership uh our our, our work to add you know bus rapid transit and add different transits uh uh, options for folks. Uh, all of that work is going to be absolutely critical, you know. And 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 you didn't really ask a question about climate, uh, but it's important. It's an important thing because a lot of times we as Minnesotans don't really, you know, we associate climate crisis with the coasts uh, or with Florida or with wildfires we see somewhere else. We don't necessarily associate necessarily associate it 
with the 300,000 pounds of rock that dropped from uh, off of Wa- on, onto Wabasha Avenue a couple of years ago. We don't necessarily associate it uh, with the wear and tear we see on our streets as the freeze thaw cycle has changed fundamentally from just uh, 10 to 20 years ago. But we don't necessarily associate it uh, with what our energy costs are doing and the cost of gas at the pump and those types of things. But we are feeling the impacts of climate crisis. Uh, one side of that is a, a, a some savings in snow removal this year, uh, but there's a whole other side of that uh, that's a, a critical part of the portfolio that both Minneapolis and St. Paul are leading on. That's right. And the other side of that that we're also going to see in a big way is how, you know, the snow used to largely thaw over a period of time. Uh, and now you suddenly will get a 60 degree day very early on in the spring or or very late in the winter. And all of that snow then melts at the same time uh, and it clogs the drains that we have and the sewer system that we have. And so while we've had this amazing sewer system in place for 150 years or so, and I'm sure St. Paul is like the same way, um, the impact that is happening because of climate change and the necessity of replacing all of those pipes, I cannot explain to you how expensive it is, and it will be. Uh, And so this is just a cost that is now baked in based on where we're going and calls out the necessity of doing uh, proactive climate change work right now. When you think about that... um... We don't have that much more time, but I, I want to come back to that because infrastructure like sewers uh, and things like that are basic. Um, when you think about building the budget, when you think about potential tax revenue challenges, do you do you start to say there are things that we might not be able to do as a city in the future or that residents say, I want to make sure our sewers work. So, you know, maybe, you know, this has to go away. And I say that because, you know, oftentimes what I hear is from somebody who's lived in either city for a long time is I just don't feel like I'm getting my value that I used to get from my city or my taxes if my taxes keep going up. And I'm not talking about no new tax people. I'm just talking about everyday people who love their city, choose to live in one of your two cities. But but maybe the, you know, the service isn't as good. You guys aren't responsible for schools, but the schools aren't as good. They just, they're looking for value. And and I know that's not necessarily how you think all the time about government, but are there things that can provide more value to your residents? You know, I, I'll jump in there. I think that should be how we think about it. I think we should think about value uh, and we should think about uh, restructuring that value because I'll tell you, historically in St. Paul and Minneapolis, uh, there are a whole lot of people who have never seen that value, uh, who have been excluded very intentionally from that value. And I think one of the things that put folks get the maddest at uh, in both cities uh, is when they feel like our work to expand that value to more people uh, is pulling value away from them. At the core, the statement that you just made is an acknowledgement of something. We all know that when we go to the grocery store, uh, when we go to the hardware store, uh, when we go to the mall to buy some a, a, a pair of jeans, or when we go buy a car, Uh, that's fundamentally more expensive than it was just a couple of years ago. And if we're not getting this, if we feel like we're not getting the same value as far as the public dollars we put in, it's a tacit acknowledgement uh, that those private sector prices have increased a heck of a lot faster uh, than your your property taxes have. Uh, Because just the same as us, uh, the cities have to buy things. The city has to pay folks. You know, when your your payroll is is going up uh, for everybody. The city has to do all of those same things. I remind folks on occasion uh, that uh, our job is to put gasoline in every police car 
in every fire truck, in St. Paul, uh, in every ambulance. That's changing because pretty soon we'll take delivery of the state's first fully electric fire uh, truck. So we're excited about that. Uh, but obviously, there's no way to cut back on uh, on on gasoline and fire trucks. And so there's 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 just those natural costs that we have. Um, our cities, uh, and I've, I've said this to private sector leaders on a couple of different occasions, uh, that our cities have increased our revenue at rates uh, that are less than than most of those private sector stores that we shop at. Uh, and I have this feeling that if if the private sector had to you know tighten their belts the same way our our, our city budget departments had to, uh, that we wouldn't see runaway inflation in the way that we do. But I'll tell you, when we talk about you know our guaranteed income pilots, when we talk about uh, paying a million dollars to uh, purchase and erase a hundred million dollars of medical debt that our residents owe, uh, when we talk about launching a college savings account for every child born in our city. Uh, those are the types of strategies that we're employing here in St. Paul and Minneapolis has, you know, uh, 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 the, the work to prevent homelessness among uh, school aged children and their families and all those types of things. Uh, these are intentional strategies uh, to expand the value that our residents receive and frankly, to expand the universe of res- residents who get a chance to experience and enjoy that value that I think is uh, uh, uh really earth changing uh, that the rest of the country is looking to the Twin Cities uh, as 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 models for. Uh, and I think that has to be noted as well. Mayor Fry, anything else to add there? I think you actually covered it really well. All right. Let's get to the real topic. Everybody's waiting for it. Mayor Cardi, you guys have been flirting with a renovation and upgrade at Excel Energy Center. Uh, it hasn't been talked about as much, Mayor Fry, but uh, the Timberwolves have hinted that they may want a new facility or an upgraded facility of some sort. Um, where does this fall in priorities? How important are these facilities to the city? Mayor Frau, I'll start with you. Look, obviously, these facilities are important in the sense that they help, as I stated earlier, downtown be an extraordinary playground. You want entertainment venues like these locations in addition to our theaters, uh, in addition to our concert halls, in addition to everything else that we have going on from restaurants to bars to farmers markets to the ice bar that I'm about to go to in a couple hours here out in Nicollet Mall. You want downtowns and cities to be these epic, thriving locations where people want to be. And of course, uh, sports teams and uh, arenas are, are are part of that. Uh, just to preempt the question, which I know where, where you're going on it, uh, do we put money into publicly subsidizing a, a privately owned arena? The answer is no. Um, I, I don't think that that is the best use of dollars, but do we partner with them? Do we find ways to work together? Um, uh, of course. I mean, the the T-Wolves, the Lynx, they've been phenomenal partners, not to mention like world champions. And right now the T-Wolves are just crushing it every single game that I go to with the exception of the last one. Uh, you know, and so... I think there's a whole lot of potential here for for the cities. And um, uh, obviously, I'm looking forward to to working collaboratively with uh, uh, with the T-Wolves, the ownership group uh, on what a best scenario would look like. Mayor Carter, what's your thoughts on what we need to do in in St. Paul for Excel? Well, I'm going to disagree with Mayor Fry on one thing, and that is this. The T-Wolves did crush that last game. Uh, they just didn't win as a good lifelong Minnesotan. Yes. I can tell you that winning isn't everything um, because well, we, maybe, maybe we, we, we learned to have a lot of fun along the way. There you go. There you go. Our, our Excel Energy Center is, it is a city-owned facility, um, and it's a facility that we that the city is on and operated. 
the Minnesota Wild is uh, accountable for about uh, one third of the events that we have there on an annual basis. Uh, we also have women's professional hockey there. Uh, we have you know th- three state tournaments there, state high school tournaments there. Uh, you asked if these facilities are important to the city. Of course they are. More importantly, I think it should be noted that they're important to the state. That uh, at the Excel Energy Center, and I imagine uh, Mayor Fry knows the numbers for their facilities in Minneapolis, the Excel Energy Center produces about a half a billion dollars, about $500 million in sales tax revenue uh, for state projects all over the state uh, every year. Uh, and that's important. Uh, the expansion that we are, or the, the renovation that we are uh, planning right now, um, the specific scope and scale and you know budget hasn't been, uh, hasn't been finalized yet. Uh, but one thing that we do know is that uh, if we're able to pull it off the way that we're that we're hoping to, uh, that would increase that number by uh, by a couple hundred million more. Uh, that's exciting for us and a, and a great opportunity. Uh, the ability. So for where the Excel Center is concerned, um, you know, buildings like this, spaces like this are projected to have a structural life of about 25 years uh, where the Excel Center is concerned. Uh, we're in year 24. And, you know, we, we had a whole conversation last year. You and I talked last year about our sales tax proposal. And, you know, the, the, the question before us as a community last year is, is, is it better to take care of publicly owned assets along the way or is it better to neglect them uh, and try to play catch up after they've kind of gotten out from under us? We're in a space where uh, the bones of the building are still good. The foundation of the building is still good and we can make a renovation, albeit a significant renovation. Uh, that uh, will give us another 25 years on the building without the sort of, you know, start all over from scratch and, you know, be able to, um, you know, that type of start all over from scratch uh, budget. Uh, Instead of talking about numbers that start in the billions, you know, as I say, you know, significant renovation, uh, that's likely to be in the hundreds of millions. uh, But we think it's it's worth it both to position our city, uh, to position the space, um, and, you know, I'll tell you, part of this is making sure that when folks go to a concert or go to a rodeo or go to uh, the state wrestling tournament, uh, that they're comfortable in that space. Part of it is making sure that the folks who are planning those big events, national events in particular, are choosing our communities to come and bring those events. Mayors, you uh, always entertain and inform, and I really appreciate that. I know I'll talk to each of you individually down the line, but I appreciate you both joining me today on Sunday Take. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having us on, boys. When we come back, this week's take. This week's take is really about our cities. Whether they're small or large, they are a center of commerce. But so often our state is divided between those in the Twin Cities and those outside the Twin Cities. Our politicians do that, and they do it for political purposes, but there are value differences. There are demographic differences. And there are attitudinal differences and philosophical differences. Look, I I think that the move to be more progressive in our cities and uh, is troubling, but it's troubling because of the economics and the challenges that it it causes for our cities to be economically competitive. But I also think there's challenges in Greater Minnesota, and the challenges are the same: housing workforce, things like that. And so wherever you're listening to this show or wherever you identify your residence with, whether it's urban or rural or suburban, recognize that without Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota is challenged economically. And if you live in the city, recognize that 
without greater Minnesota, Minnesota's fabric and economy are also different. It's not about which one's better. Be glad you live in a state that has both options. And in most cases, you get to choose where you live. I'm Blaise Olson. That's this week's take. I'll be with Vanita on Wednesday and Thursday this week. And you can subscribe to our newsletters at fluence-newsletters.com. Until next week, that's the Sunday take. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T Mobile. You can count on T Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 